Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, December 20th, 2020 called Rediscover Christmas, Love in Our Differences, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 28 and 30. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Fourth part in this, on this fourth Sunday of Advent. So hope, peace, joy, love. You may have heard this uh, old statement. It's a cliche. It's a cliche. And cliches never quite hold if, when you really press on them. But sometimes they have a kind of a basic truth that's worth uh, discussing or exploring. Here's the statement. Um, see, and you can probably finish this statement. No one actually cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? And there's some truth to that, isn't there? Although, to be honest, when I take my car to the shop, I really don't care if the dude loves me or not. I just kind of like the car to run properly. Or if you go, you know, if you go, if you call the IT guy because your computer's not working, it's okay if we're not going out for a drink afterwards, you know, or that we're best buds or we hang out. I'm, I'm hoping that my computer works when we're done. And you would say that's true, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you agree with me? Now, however, however, there are some other things. I've also, you know, as a pastor, it's always interesting. Pastors become knowledgeable on any number of things. It's funny how much time I spend in the hospital. Not as much now, you know. But even so, still talking with and visiting with people when they get difficult news or they're working through a hard time, they are ill or they're hospitalized or something's happening. So I am like constantly talking with people who are ill or having surgery, or recovering, or doing things like that. And so it's a fascinating thing for me because you hear the stories about the, the, the docs who have a good bedside manner and those who don't. And every once in a while you'll get a doc, because like here's the thing, like you'll have a doc who might be this brilliant oncologist, cancer doc, but is just kind of a jerk, you know, which is a funny combination Because here's a person going through arguably one of the most challenging, difficult, testing, traumatic moments. And the person might just be, yeah, you got cancer, get over it. You know, grapple with, deal with it. You know, something like that. And what a difference it makes when I hear from people like you who say, wow, I was just blessed. I was so blessed with this great doc who they prayed with me or they listened to me they spent extra time I knew they had other patients but they and then they called later just to see how I was doing and dealing with the news so it's interesting I mean yeah it's neat I it's neat that I have uh, there are mechanics who can just fix my car and I don't care if they love me but it's pretty cool that Jim Hughes at Les Schwab is my buddy it's really cool that we like each other and we would we do stuff for each other. When there's a need or there's something, we're happy to do it. So that makes a difference, doesn't it? It makes a difference with the IT guy even, like my son. You know, I can actually treat him decently. No, it's, but I mean, it's kind of cool because I'm not worried that my son is all put out or he's unhappy. He's just, he's happy to do it for me because it blesses his dad, you know, that kind of thing. So, It's interesting because when we stop to ask what drives this whole season that we're in, anticipating the coming of Christ, and these things that we're hoping for, these characters, these characteristics that we're holding up, hope, peace, 
joy, and love. What I'm telling you is, this is what drives the whole bus. This drives it all. Now, it's not difficult to make the argument that we live in some of the most, certainly in my lifetime, some of the most contentious times, certainly in my lifetime, when it appears that if you are a certain label or you think a certain way or vote a certain way or hold a certain position, those that are in disagreement really struggle to love each other, even listen to each other. Even spend time in the same room together. If, uh, you know, if, you, if we made you all walk in here with either like a, a, a red R or a blue D on your head, how would that change things? Not well, I bet. Sadly. It didn't always used to be that way, by the way. It didn't always used to be that way. But we live in exceedingly contentious times, and they're unreasonably contentious. They're not often based in a lot of reason or patience or compassion or listening. They're just not. We've gotten to a spot where I I fret over whether we'll ever recover from it as a people who care about one another. I'm nervous that we become so divided. I mean, like we're doing food boxes today. Isn't it okay that people who all disagree help people who are hungry? Isn't it okay that people who may disagree help people who maybe are homeless or who are sick or that we can support our frontline workers and encourage them? You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I mean, sometimes I despair over it. Sometimes I fret. And then, and then God gives me this to do today. Because what overcomes it? And it's going to sound like a trite cliche. Just like I said, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care, which is love, right? When people know you love, you can overcome almost anything. Love overcomes. And that sounds trite, but you know what's funny? In our contentious age that we live in, I don't know we've either given up or we stopped trying to love. So here's the thing. Let me just put it in context, because this is not new. Think about the the birth and the announcement of the birth. We start with Elizabeth and Zechariah. Remember, that's the parents of John the Baptist. That's a miraculous birth, because Elizabeth is so elderly. And And then the notice comes to the teenage girl, unmarried, engaged teenage girl, that you're going to be pregnant, miraculous birth, son of God. And then you have the devout Jewish husband, right, or fiancé. And then you have shepherds, lowest rung of the totem pole. You have the magi, science, scientists, kings, wealthy. You have them. You have King Herod, who's a putz, and in it just to maintain his own power. Very secular, not religious at all. And then you have, and then you have um, who else do you have? Angels, these eternal beings, these like, heavenly beings, and, and you have all of these people, Simeon and Anna, very elderly, very devout people who lived in the temple, you know, kind of stayed in the temple courts. You have all, have I forgotten people? Anyway, you have all these people, all these characters that come together. And I think it's, it's just so brilliant that what God is giving us a picture to say this message is for every one of those. Think about all those audiences. 
You think we're contentious now? Do you know how Jew, what Jews thought of Samaritans? Do you know what Jews thought of Gentiles? Do you know what the Jews thought of their Roman overlords and what the Romans thought of them? You know, I mean, the Romans thought they were something you scraped off the bottom of your shoe. And so, talk about contentious. What, what the rich thought of the poor? Because the rich believed that God was on their side, and if you were poor, God had abandoned you. Or the healthy and the sick, the privileged and the underprivileged, the king, the magi, and the shepherd, the gulfs and the separation and the divisions. I am telling you, it's bad now. It's always been bad. And it was bad then. And this message is a message of the birth that is to all people. So here's what I focused in on this week. You know, it's a really cool thing. When Gabriel comes to Mary, right? And it's always, you know how it always is. What's the first words like out of an angel's mouth? Don't be afraid. Because as soon as the angel appears, they're like, whap. You know, they're flat on the ground. Ah, Terrified, right? And it's don't be afraid. And that's what the angel says. Don't be afraid. You who are highly favored. Isn't that an interesting phrase? You who are highly favored. And then he goes on to say, don't be afraid, Mary. Because she goes, what the heck? You know, how will this be? Don't be afraid, Mary. She says, you have found favor with God. Isn't that an interesting term? We don't use that term. You know, Cheryl, you found favor with God. Okay, good. Right? That's weird. Or then later, when the shepherds are there, the the angels appear and they say, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Right? That's the older translation. Um, you know, uh, peace on earth and goodwill and, and, and goodwill to those on whom God's favor rests, right? There it is again. You know what that word is? That word is charis, that Greek word. It's a variation of charis. Charis means gift, grace. So in other words, you could translate it this way. Greetings, Mary, you who have been graced by God. You see, so often, unfortunately, and I love my Catholic brothers, and I think that we don't do a good job of honoring Mary well in our tradition, we could do better. She's amazing. But she's just like us in the sense of she too needed a Savior, just like all of us. But it isn't that she was chosen because she was perfect. She is an example of grace. Greeting you who are graced by God. Not because you earned the position. God is showing his grace to you. Don't be afraid, Mary. God's shown his grace to you. You could say it another way. Greetings, you who are loved by God. Don't be afraid, Mary. You've got God's love. Don't be afraid, shepherds. Peace on earth and goodwill to everyone who God loves. Who does that leave out, by the way? Thank you. Somebody talked. No, who's to leave out? Nobody. Right? God loves all. And so that's what I think is driving this. In other words, just like then, today, God is saying, what will overcome our differences? Love. Now we got to talk about love. Because there's a love of self, isn't there? That's bad love. I mean, that's bad love. That Man, that could be bad. That could be ugly. That's selfish love. And then there's a love for accomplishment. Well, I'm doing this thing because I'm passionate about winning. I love to win. And then there might be the love of a kind of a team kind of thing. I, I love the team, but everyone else I hate. And then you kind of get to love a family. That's a good love too, isn't it? But love of family, if it excludes, is not a real good love. That's why, isn't it interesting? 
in Jesus' public ministry as an adult, what are a lot of the questions he asks or tries to answer? Who's my neighbor? How's he answer that? He tells the story, doesn't he? What if you're a good Jewish boy going to the temple, you get beat up, and the only guy who'll help you is a Samaritan? How about that? Is he your neighbor? Does he count? Or then he says, who's my true son? The one who says, you bet, Dad, I'll go to work today, and then blows it off. Or the one who says, no, I'm not doing it, and then go does it. Who's my son? When Jesus' family comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, could you come home? You knock it off. You're embarrassing the family. Are you familiar with that scene? Jesus goes, who's my true family? He says to his disciples, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. It's all driven by love language. It's all driven by love language. Who is my neighbor? Who's my family? Who's my son? Who's my beloved, my bride? Who is it? It's the one who loves. And so we need to talk about this because it's obviously such an overused word, right? All the, every song we hear, all these things, it's all about love. Yeah, yeah, love. We've got to talk about it. So on this Advent, where the theme is love, let's talk about it in three ways. Because what I am contending with you is that is, this is the only way to overcome our differences, today or at any time. Then it was certainly the case. Because Jesus is a message of love. It's love in the flesh. God is, in fact, love. God is love. This is how we know what love is. God sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's how you know what love is. And so we need to talk about what does that love look like. Let me tie it to those three words. And I'm going to go backwards. Let me tell you, this is a completely different sermon than the first one. So I think I blew it in the first one. I apologize. So if you tell your friends, tell them to watch this one maybe online. Think about these three things. Hope, peace, and joy. And this is my law word for us because... I'm going to speak to myself a little bit here, too. In the contentious time we live in, I've almost given up. I almost don't want to even talk anymore. It's too hard. I'm worn out. I'm tired of doing the dance. You know what I mean? Can anyone relate to what I'm talking about? I'm embarrassed to admit it to you because I should have more patience and more love. And so I'm, I'm running a little bit on empty. And so it's hard. So now I just want to avoid. Can we just talk about the weather? <laughs> Can we just talk about the living nativity we did? It was really cool. Can we, you know what I mean? Love is work, isn't it? Man, it's hard work. And what I'm telling you is any of those three characteristics and what wonderful godly characteristics our living hope, Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, the source of our joy, Jesus Christ. I'm afraid that too often my expression of those things come without love. And when they come without love, what does hope look like without love? I, so I'm, I, I'm at point number one. A, a love that, what do I say, fuels hope. I'm, 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 I'm a fan of apocalyptic literature. Do you know what I mean? I don't mean the book of Revelation. I mean like science fiction, apocalypse. Like what would happen if the world kind of like... Like we have a pandemic, but what if 99% of the people died, right? And then what would it look like afterwards? Would people still worship God or would they have given up? Would there still be government? Would it be anarchy? What would it be like? So I've, I, I watch The Walking Dead and I read Stephen King. And so I'm reading The Stand again because there's coming out with a new miniseries. Thank you, Wendy. Wendy and I are Stephen King fans. I'm sorry I gave that away. Um, but um, The Stand is my favorite Stephen King book. 
Okay, that's huge. It's about that thick. And what's interesting about the stand is worldwide pandemic. There's not many people left, and they cluster into two groups because at the end of the world, how do you get hope? That's kind of the story of an apocalyptic novel. Where is there hope? What's it look like? How do you form? And the two groups, one is led by the devil, Randall Flagg, and the other is led by Abigail, Mother Abigail, in Boulder, Colorado. And she is a devout Christian, little African-American woman over 100 years old. And she leads this community, and she does not lead it with power, she does not lead it because she is so strong or so charismatic. She leads it to, she leads them to hope with love. This is my point. A hope without love is, is empty, has no life. It's not, it's not living. It's not, right? So the group that's led by the group in Las Vegas, Randall Flagg's group, it's all selfish. It's bitter. It's revenge-based. It's all in it for themselves. And yes, they have a future, but it has no love. We are looking at a future that's fueled by love. Our, if we are to have hope, here's my thing, in the midst of the pandemic, I am hopeful, whether I'm right or wrong, I am hopeful that the scientists and researchers have developed an effective vaccine. I'm hoping. In large part, I hope for that because I happen to be your pastor and I'm longing for people that I love to become safe. I'm longing for that. But here's the thing. If your hope is in a vaccine, your hope's in the wrong place. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is the one who calls us to himself. Out of every dark moment, out of every deep hole, the Lord of love, God who is love, is calling us to that hope. And when we have that hope, it's been fueled, it's been energized, and it is, in fact, as Peter says, a living hope. The second way I want to talk about love in this time that can overcome is this. You know, in World War II, it's an interesting illustration. We had a, it was, it was the, the most devastating world conflict to date that's ever happened. Millions upon millions of lives lost. And it's fascinating that the nations that we fought, Germany and Japan and Italy, those Axis powers, after the war, within a decade after the war, you know who our greatest and most solid and kind of among them were our former enemies. Isn't that a strange irony that Germany and Japan became two of our greatest allies in the Western world, I mean, for, of America? It's fascinating. I mean, it's so interesting. It's never happened in the world's history. And, you know, people talk about it, the Marshall Plan and billions of dollars that we pumped into it. And people will say, well, we had to get their economies going because that would just help us and we could sell them stuff and, you know, all of this. But these places were devastated. Some of them, the town, like Dresden, like not one stone hardly left upon another. And in towns in Japan and, and Okinawa, terrible, I mean, terrible, terrible And we went in there and billions upon billions of dollars and man hours and people went and worked right next side, shoulder to shoulder with people who we had been shooting at months before. And I've pondered that. I love history. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a student. And you can make arguments about, well, the economy drove it, or money drove it, or businesses, opportunities, things like that. 
And you know what I think drove it? We are a nation of immigrants. We have people from all those countries that made up our population. I think what happened was, not, in, not universally, maybe I'm too naive, but that we wanted to love those people because they were people we did love. And from those nations, many of us came and we needed to restore. And the only thing that would do it, would heal it, would be love. That's the kind of peace we're talking about. You know, a love with it. So here's our blanks. This is a love that generates peace. Love that generates peace. Like I told you, I have to recommit. I'm at a spot where I have to recommit. And I'm ready, I need to do it. I'm ready to do it. To listen and to participate with those with whom I disagree. Because that's loving. Because I'm longing for a peace that's not just we don't talk about it. Right? Is that peace? We don't talk about it. So we get together at Christmas. We don't talk about it. Here are the three topics you can't talk about. That's not peace. What I'm longing for is enough love that generates the peace which God is calling for, which is wholeness and healing. I'm not equal to it, folks. Maybe you are. I'm not. Well, no, you're not either. But the Prince of Peace is. The Prince of Peace is. And his patience, nobody more patient, his patience, his listening ear, his willingness to heal, that's the source That's the source of our peace. The third thing I wanted to talk to you about on this kind of love, a love that overcomes, and forgive me, I'm going to uh, use a Lord of the Rings illustration. Forgive me. I always feel bad because those of you that aren't fans, I don't know if I connect with this at all. But in the Lord of the Rings, there's a great, great scene way at the end. And it's so funny. I'm such a weenie. I cry through it. It's so cool. Frodo is back and he's, they've won. They did it. By the way, they win in the end. Okay, so they destroy the ring of power. Spoiler alerts. They destroy the ring of power. All of us have the little hobbit guys. And it's this massive conflagration of people. So there's a group of hobbits. There's elves. There's dwarf. There's kings. There's men. You know, there's all these different people. And, uh, and elves and so forth. And they all are part of the fellowship of the ring. And when Frodo wakes up after having been gone through hell, essentially, and having overcome, there sitting by his bed is Sam. It's so awesome. And Sam is sitting by his, his bed, and then in the door opens, and his two other buddies, Merry and Pippin, they come walking in. And then in comes Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli. And what's so interesting is, it's just this scene filled with joy, but it is, it is undergirded. It is created by love. It's a love that creates joy. Their love for each other creates the joy. Let me give you an example. So I taught at Seattle Lutheran High School back in the late 80s and early 90s. And boy, did we have a great uh, soccer program. So we were, we were heavily favored to win the small school state championship in Washington for soccer. And we were winning like every game, every game. And it was horrible. Because those guys on that team were jerks. Those kids were selfish, arrogant. The coach was desperately trying to correct them and guide them. One, we, we, in fact, they were on an unbeaten season, ranked number one in the state. We had never won a state championship in any sport at this school in Seattle. 
And I'm there with the headmaster and I, and um, we, our biology teacher had, had cancer and was going through chemo. And he had lost all his hair. And those kids came by in the bus, and those kids out there threw things at him and called him baldy and said, why aren't you coming? We stopped the bus. I actually got in front of the bus, stopped the bus. And we hauled all those kids out back into school. We were on our way to a game, and we made them forfeit that game. Let me tell you, it wasn't the kids, it was the parents that we had to deal with. That was the hardest thing, that the parents wouldn't back us up. Because we were so horrified at the way they treated one of their teachers. And they were just so, and they were excellent. They would have won the state championship running away. But we, they, we ended up, we ended up uh, not winning that year. And it was, a, it was a loveless thing. The next year... They behaved themselves, and we won the state championship. And it was the most joyless celebration I have ever been involved with. It was kind of a told you so, or see, or it was just a mockery. And then those bunch of seniors graduated. And the next year, we weren't supposed to do well at all. But those kids had watched those guys and said, we know better. We're going to do better than them. And they won it the second year. They won it. They were unranked and won the state championship in that second year. And that celebration was spectacular. So here's the point. You can be successful. And you can win. And you can have a party. And without love, it's empty. It's shallow. It's thin. But joy that has love undergirding it, a love for one another, a sacrifice where we've, we've weathered the storms, we've walked together, we've supported each other, that's a celebration worth having. And that's the celebration we're about to have. In just a few days, that's the celebration. Jesus loves us this way. That love that has life, that hope that has life because it has love. That peace that is whole and healing. Because it has love, the Lord of love. And joy that has love. Because it's deep and rich. And it never ends because its source is Christ. That's a love that can overcome anything. Even the differences we face today. That love can overcome it. And that's the love that's born on Christmas Day. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.